with us. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. My intent was to go down through verse 10 of chapter 5 today, but uh, I think this message is, is quite long enough. But if I get to the end and, and you still got some more in you, just give me some hooping and some hollering and we'll, we'll keep it rolling. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Can you say amen? you mind just um, maybe laying a hand on or holding a hand or just uh, gently connecting with the person next, next to you? And let's pray. Well, Father, it's, um, it's, it's an honor, first of all, to be in the house of the Lord among people that you have just encouraged and inspired to be here. Lord, we never take this light. We never take this for granted. We, we realize that there's people here, Lord God, who may come in with various things on their heart, things, Lord, that um, they want to hear from you on. It's my desire, Lord, as I deliver the word of the Lord, that there will be ministry to them. I don't know what will be said, don't know what manner it will be said in. I don't know how the Spirit will work, but I trust you. Lord, it's, it's during this time also, Lord, that I pray that everyone has a face-to-face encounter with you. And the Lord, that the word of God will speak to their heart and to their mind. Uh, be good for the spirit and just uh, encourage their soul. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you would uh, anoint me, anoint my lips. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable uh, in your sight. Father, we pray for uh, San Luis uh, and uh, South Africa and Guiani there and, and Sean Deager, uh, the churches in the northern region there of India, Pastor Norman, Pastor Rabonda, Pastor David, and their oversight, I pray, Lord God, that you would be with them as they serve God in the area that you've placed them in. And the Lord, we pray for every church in our community, every church in this city, everyone that gathers in the name of the Lord to declare the word of the Lord. We pray that you will anoint these pastors. Specifically this morning, we pray for Reverend Porter and Second Missionary Baptist. Uh, Lord, I trust you to do a work in that end of town, North End. Uh, Lord, for Christ to be exalted. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. May the people of God say amen. 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 Now, I have um, learned, and and I I think maybe possibly you have also, um, but I know that I have for sure. I've learned that probably... We, we know how important the Holy Spirit is. We know the importance of the Word of God. But I, I have learned that the, the, the two most crucial things when I'm going through a trial uh, is perseverance and prayer. Prayer and perseverance during those times of, of, of trials. That's, that's vital if we're going to endure, if we're going to make it through, if we're going to uh, have the hope and the faith and the confidence and not allow experiences and things that do happen in life, and, and they will. Uh, you know that uh, as well as I do. Uh, there's things that can, that can really send you into a tailspin or in, in a time of despair or uh, just a time of discouragement uh, where, you, where you just feel like you're on the verge maybe of losing hope or, or just feel like you're helpless. It's, it's during those times 
where the mind, the mindset, the, the heart, the will, the fortitude to endure and to pray. As Jesus said this when he talked about the parable of the sower and the seed, and I believe it's in two of the gospels for sure. Um, one of the ones he said that they received the word of God and they sprung up quickly. But when times of persecution came, uh, they soon uh, faded away or, 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 or gave in or immediately fell away. We've already learned in chapter three of Hebrews that, that endurance is a mark of a genuine saving faith. It's not as much as what you did when you began. It's how you walk through it once you've made that commitment to Christ. The scriptures are clear. He that endures to the end shall be saved. He that endures to the end shall be saved. And so we know already prayer is, it's, it's that supply line uh, when we're in battle. And, and you're in battle. If, if you don't know it, I'm, I'm here to serve you notice. It, it's good news, uh, but it's, it, it, it's news indeed. You, you're in warfare. You're in a battle. Uh, the moment you give your life to Christ, uh, everybody else around you can celebrate, but there is one booger, there's one rascal who is not so pleased with what you just did. And uh, the enemy's job is just to unleash every kind of attack against you so that you may see or maybe even walk into a season where you feel like that you're all alone. Prayer is so vital for us. It's, it's, it's what keeps that lifeline going. It's that relationship. This passage is in most encouraging. Out of all the Hebrew texts, these three verses here, 14, 15, 16, are probably the most encouraging uh, when it comes to perseverance and prayer. That's the real issue here that's, that's going on, that, that from, from a Christian faith or a Christian perspective, uh, there is an understanding that we're not abandoned and that we're not left alone. And, and, and it's the previous verses that we dealt with in a couple of messages that some of the believers, even those from the Old Testament that, was, that have saw the miracles as the Lord was leading them uh, through the exodus and through the wilderness onto the promised land, some of, them, some of them didn't make it to that place of rest, which is typified for salvation because of their unbelief. They got into those challenging moments and, and, and they bailed out rather than giving in to the pressure and, 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 and failing to embrace this great salvation, the author shows us the manner on how we do it is drawing near to Jesus. And that's, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the throne of grace. And here's the big idea of this message. Since Jesus is our sympathetic high priest, if we draw near to him in prayer, his help ensures we will endure all trials and persevere until the end. Because of Jesus. And so let's, let's break this down. And just the first point that I want to make here, Jesus is our great high priest who has entered into heaven. It's a critical statement. It's a critical point. And for many of us, and uh, depending on how long you've been in the faith and how much Bible reading you've done, it may be a little bit hard to connect this high priest statement with Jesus. And actually Hebrews is the only book that talks about Jesus being the high priest. But it, it, it's, it's coming off the understanding that these Hebrew believers know. They, they were raised in a system where there was, there was the, the, the body of believers uh, that would go to the tabernacle to worship or they would go to the temple to worship. And there would be people noted as Levites that would help them and assist them in their gatherings for worship. 
many of the people that you see serving around here as ushers and greeters, uh, worship team, people that support system, those would be very much similar to what the Levites would do in the Old Testament or the old, under the Old Covenant in the old system of worship. Their job was to help make everything uh, as, as excellent as possible so that they could, so people can go in with a clear mind and a clear heart and worship the Lord without distractions and, and those kind of things. But then there was priests that also served. The idea of the priest was to minister the things that would be done. Some of you have come from some liturgical backgrounds and you understand the role of the priest in many ways. Those that read the scripture, those that may carry in uh, the incense, those that carry in uh, the cross, uh, administer the communion, administer the baptisms, etc. So, so that, that very much was what was happening in the Old Testament and where that liturgy comes from. But then there was the one noted as the high priest. He was the one that was above them all. He was the one that was set aside uh, by the Lord through the family of Aaron. Aaron was the brother of Moses who led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea onto the promised land. He had a brother named Aaron. The Lord let Moses know early on, uh, Exodus 28, I believe, is when we first read about it, that when, once you get established in this land, and even some things along the way, that I want to be someone who will represent the people to me and someone who will represent me to the people. That person would be noted as the high priest. Aaron's children, his lineage, Aaron and his family were the ones who was designated as the family that would be high priests. No one could be a high priest if they did not come out of the family of Aaron. And, and their job, again, was to go in to a place that, that was called the Holies of Holies. There was the tabernacle. Uh, in our case, of course, nowadays we have a, have a sanctuary. But if you could picture this, if, if this was the picture of the Old Testament tabernacle, you would come in, you would worship, you would sing songs, you would greet one another, someone would speak to you, someone would bring the word. But then there would be a time when the high priest would go into, if we could picture kind of a curtain here, where he would go behind the curtain, and behind that curtain is, is what was called the Ark of the Covenant. Um, and the Ark of the Covenant was, a, was the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and different things, but there was some cherubim, golden cherubim, golden angels that was uh, engraved on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and then there was a, the mercy seat. The idea of the high priest going in there every, time, every, uh, every uh, year for the gathering is that he would be the one that would make the sacrifices that would be, that would be uh, lifted up unto the Lord for the people's sins. It was an acknowledgement. Every year they would come and they would acknowledge the fact that they have sinned against God. Every person that came had an understanding that we all sin. And, uh, but God is the one, of course, that saves and delivers us. We need his mercy. We need his grace. We, we, we need the ability to have our hearts and our minds and our conscience cleansed and cleared so that we can walk in a right relationship with God and not live in guilt and not live in shame and not live in a terror of him. The high priest's job was to go behind this curtain every year. He would take the sacrifice that was, uh, that was done before the people, the blood that was shed there. He would go behind the curtain. He would take that blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. It was the manner in which of indicating God that we offer ourselves as a people knowing that we need your mercy. We want to continue in relationship with you. We want to walk according to your will and according to your laws and according to your precepts. We want to continue in the promises that you give us and the goodness of you that you've laid upon us. Every year he would do that. 
But every year, though, they would be reminded that they had sinned because every year that priest had to go behind that curtain and acknowledge before God again that we are a sinful people who need your mercy. This passage says this about Jesus, that Jesus is not just another high priest. He's a greater high priest, that he's, he's not in the line of Aaron, in that human line that just comes with the mindset of understanding he's a represent God to the people every single year. But Jesus more so was a high priest that has taken up on our sins, every one of our sins, and Jesus has made a sacrifice once and for all. In other words, what the, what the Bible teaches us and what we know about Jesus is this, that he wants us to have an eternal relationship with him. And in the process of understanding what that means, Jesus has made a commitment that he is the one that sacrificially, because we're sinful people, there's nothing that we can do that can rid ourselves of sins. And as a matter of fact, when the high priest went in, all of the sins of the people that he represented before God, they were not completely done away with. They were just relieved for the moment. That's why year after year, the high priest had to go in and say, once again, we're a people that have sinned, we're a sinful people, and we need your mercy. But when it came to Jesus, the scripture says here about him being the great high priest, he has offered himself once and for all for every one of our sins. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more because there's a great truth to that. But what makes him the greater high priest is where he went. The, the scripture says that we learn from the, from the scriptures that the, the, the high priest of that day, the people would see them go in. And let me just tell you this. If their heart wasn't right, if they, didn't, if they didn't go before the Lord in the right manner and in the right heart, if they didn't go in with the manner of humility representing themselves as being people that sinful and prepared themselves for that, they would die behind the curtain. As a matter of fact, they would put a, a rope around them with bells. And if they no longer heard the bells behind the curtain, they figured, oh, man, that boogie done messed up. Down goes Frazier. I mean, and they, and they would have to pull him out. And the next one in line, they would say, up, oh, your turn, which I'm telling you, I would not want to be next. No way. I would skip that next step table. But, uh, but yeah, but, but so, so he had to go in with the right heart, the right mind. But when he came out, the people were relieved because they realized, okay, God has accepted the sacrifice. And the high priest would just fade away, going on back to his home. But the next year they would see the high priest again. But Jesus didn't just fade away. The scripture says that when Jesus offered the sacrifice for us, they saw him after the resurrection. He was on the earth for 40 days, but then he ascended to present himself as the sacrifice that God would receive. But here is the issue. Jesus didn't just go somewhere where people would see him again. Jesus went on to heaven and he went to heaven. And the scripture says in, in Hebrews chapter eight, there he sits on the right hand of authority. Now, why is that important? Important because the high priest, when he was in there, he never sat down. 
He always stood. And when they saw him, he was always standing. He walked in. he done what he did. They, he came out. He was standing. He could never sit down. You know why he could never sit down? Because the job was never fully done. Next year, somebody else had to come and stand in there and do it again. And next year, somebody else had to come and do it again. But when Jesus offered his life for us as a sacrifice for our sins, he went up to heaven, presented himself to the Almighty God and says, I've done what you told me to do. It's finished. And Jesus sat down because it was all done. The sacrifice was complete and every one of our sins have been forgiven. Can you say amen? Now here is what makes this so good. Those high priests, on the one hand, of course, there there was a manner of concern about the people that they were offering the sacrifice for. But, but more so, they were just as concerned about themselves and how that was going to have an effect on them if for some reason they didn't do that sacrifice right. I guess what I'm saying here is on the one hand, they could take on a sorrow for the people for the sins. But on the other hand, they were just as concerned about themselves and they weren't as much able to help the people to get from year to year to the next time there was a sacrifice. But let me tell you about our high priest. He can feel you. He, he's a personal high priest. He's, he's one that is, yes, the almighty God that's able to offer himself as the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, but he's also a very personal and real God. Can I just remind you of another reason on why we're Christians and we're not Buddhists or we're not Hindus or, 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 or we're not Confucius or believe in all kinds of other gods? Because those gods can never touch you. They can never heal you, hear you. They can never, they can't heal you either. They can never respond to you. They can never show you sympathy. They can never show you compassion because they're made by the hands of man. But this God is a God that knows you. He feels you. He hears you. He responds to you. And that's actually my next point. Jesus is a priest that feels you. Even from that place in heaven, the scripture says that he sympathizes with us. How is he able to sympathize with us? Because he lived here on earth also. And he knows what it's like to live in the flesh. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be lied to. He knows what it's like to think through some things and not sure how you're going to get through it. He knows what it's like to live in the flesh. Jesus is not just someone that has sorrow for you. Jesus can feel that sorrow that you're going through. He's a God that empathizes. I, I read a, a story, I don't know if it was last week or this week or week before last, about a, a, a fellow who went to, he saw a sign that says some puppies for sale. I think they were $25 each and the, the man was out there, but the, the puppies weren't out there. He was just sitting there with the sign and the, and the, and the man said, I, I, uh, I would, uh, the, the little fellow said, I would like to, to, to buy one of the puppies. And the man says, okay, they're $25 uh, each. And he says, well, I, I really don't have that, 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 that much money, and, but, but I, I sure would like to have one. And the man said, well, th- this is the deal, $25 each. He says, well, can I at least see them? And so sure enough, the, the man whistled, here comes the, uh, I guess it would be the mama, and then here comes four pups uh, running behind. And of course, he was just enamored with the puppies. And, but then he looked up, and here comes one that was kind of on the limp. It was the fifth puppy, but he was kind of coming along on the limp. And when the, when the puppy got there, the, the boy said, you know, I really would like to have that one. 
And he said, and he told him what the issue was. This, this puppy will probably always have that limp. Um, this, this is not going to be able to be fixed. Why would, why would you, why would you want that one? And, and the boy pulled up his leg and he showed where he had a prosthetic uh, leg. And he says, you know, my leg will never be right again. I'll always have a little bit of a limp. I know what it means to have someone love you who understands what you've been going through. I want that puppy. And, uh, and that's how Jesus is. You see, all of us as people, all of us can hear a story of someone and an experience that they go through and it can hurt us and we can have sorrow. But, but there's a lot of things that people have experienced that I've never went through. I've never experienced. I've never lost a child, thank, thank God. And, and, you, and when people lose children or, or, or the, the death of their, or their mother and things of that, I can certainly say, man, I'm sorry for that. I have sorrow for that. But, but, but see, Jesus goes beyond that. Jesus doesn't just say, I, I, I'm hurting with you. But Jesus says, I, Jesus says, I understand that sorrow. I understand that pain. I understand that heartache. He's a high priest that has that kind of compassion. Man can only be touched by sorrow, but Jesus is touched by that kind of sorrow. J.C. Ryle said it like this, Jesus Christ is not only the son of God mighty to save, but he's the son of God able to feel. Jesus is able to feel from that place in heaven. But I need to say this, and I won't spend a lot of time on it, but, but I, I want you to get it because it's in the passage. It, it says, but Jesus did not sin. He, he was a great high priest. He's able to feel, but he did not sin. And oftentimes when we think about Jesus not sinning, sometimes we think, well, how can Jesus be sympathetic for us uh, if, he hasn't, if he hasn't done the things that I've done? First of all, let me just debunk this so I can move on. Oftentimes I've heard people say, well, it's a whole lot better when you experience some things to minister to people when they're experiencing that. That's a bunch of hogwash. You don't have to experience everything that people experience in life to minister to them. The spirit of God and the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the compassion of God is able to minister to people in no matter what condition they're in. And he's able to use you to do it. He's able to use you to do it. And if that was the case, then we're in big trouble because Jesus never sinned. If that was a mindset that we got, then Jesus couldn't help us at all because he never sinned. But, but here is the issue. The scripture says Jesus did not sin, and I'm grateful that he did not sin. And if you think then that Jesus doesn't have the sympathy and compassion for us because he did not sin, then you don't understand the goodness and the greatness of the almighty God that we serve. Because in all of his perfection is total perfection of sympathy. In all All of his perfection is total perfection of compassion. In the ability of being God who knows all things and sees all things and understands all things, he's able to relate to you in a manner better than you ever knew yourself. This is a Jesus who's able to minister to you to things that you didn't even know that you needed minister to because why? He's the all-consuming God who knows all, sees all, and feels all. And so here the scripture says he never sinned. But here's the issue. This is why it's critical for us. Because Jesus never did sin, but yet had the ability to experience some of the very same things we experience as we're walking on earth, that gives him the ability and the authority to show us that we can live a life without sin because the sinless one is living in 
us. I, I think I probably need to break that down a little bit more because you may think, well, pastor, Jesus ain't, Jesus ain't have no wife. So he don't know what it's like to live with a wife. Jesus didn't have no children. He don't know what it's like to try to raise children. Jesus didn't work for no boss. He don't know what it's like to work for folks. I'm going to tell you this, everything that you can go through from doubt and despair and discouragement, it, it doesn't, you don't have to have this experience to experience that or this experience to experience that. You don't have to experience everything in life to know how some things affect you and how you want to respond to them. Jesus experienced everything that you could experience mentally, emotionally, all of the things that you go through, Jesus was able to go through and yet did not sin. Now, I don't want you to miss that. He did not sin. Why? Because he said from day one, I'm here to be obedient to the Father. I'm telling you, church, we can live a life of holiness, a life of reverence, a life of fear unto the God, and here's the one that will help us. The sinless one who is the sympathetic one, the compassionate one who knows what you're going through, lives in you and says, I got this. I feel you and I got this. I know what you're going through, but I got this. I've walked through what you walked through and I'm able to give you the victory. Can you say amen? That's why Hebrews 2.17 says this, therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he's able to help us when we are being tested. From start to finish, to the very end of Jesus's ministry, Satan tried everything he can to get Jesus to sin. But John 14, uh, 30 says, but he found no sin in him. Jesus is able to live here on earth, experience life like we live, like we live life, offer a sacrifice for us because he's sinless and give us an opportunity to have eternal life. Now, th- that's in a nutshell what the passage says. There's, there's a whole lot more I could say, but can I just tell you what he's telling us we got to do? Since Jesus is the high priest and since Jesus feels you and since Jesus did not sin, this is what he's saying. Now I'm inviting you to come into my throne room Be- because see, this is what he knows. Every one of us are going to have those moments in our life where we have to persevere. All of us do. You might have some on your mind even right now. But Jesus is saying, you're not alone on this. I want you to come draw near to me. You come into the throne room. You come right where I am. I'm inviting you to come. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This is an oxymoron to this group of people that's hearing this. Because they lived in a culture in which you never approached the throne. Whenever you said you got to go to the throne to, to, to see the man on the throne or the woman on the throne, it was like being told you got to go to the principal's office. Unless Mike Sharp is your principal, then that's probably going to be pretty good. But, but you got to go to the, to the principal's office. They knew they, that the only way they could go before the throne is if they were in trouble or if they had permission to go. It's amazing for them to hear, wait a minute, you're saying that Christ, the high priest, the king of glory... The Lord of Lords, the one that's promising to return back for us that's, that, so we can live with him forever. He's saying we can go into the throne room. Yes, he is. As a matter of fact, he says the best place for you to be is to draw near to me in the throne room right there in my presence, right there in my presence. And, and can, I, can I tell you something? 
We need to go to the throne room in that presence, that place of prayer, not because we pretty much got it together and we need a little advice. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me tell you something. We're always weak. We, we always need the guidance and the wisdom of the almighty God. We're always in a place. Uh, sometimes we live, uh, I've always said, those, those old VW bugs, they, I had one, one of those old Volkswagen bugs. Them, I took it to my mechanic one time, and it was a little issue going on. I thought it was real, real minor, and he did. It was real fixed, but he said something to me I've never, uh, that I've never forgotten. He says, you need to know about these old VW bugs. They always run on the brink of destruction. Can I tell you something about our life? We're always running on the brink of destruction. We're always on the edge of something just going completely haywire. And Jesus didn't say, without me, you can get along pretty well most of the time. Call me if you need me. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. So he welcomes us into that throne room, that place of prayer. And so here's my encouragement. Go get what you need. Get on in there. Get on in that throne room. Get yourself some help. Shoot. You asking us to help you and do this and pastor and pastor and pastor. You need to be going, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Go in there and get you some help. Go in there before the Lord. And, and the scripture says in the time of need, he'll give you what you need. In the time of need, no matter how intense life gets or no matter how life is not or how life is. The scripture says we always, I, I believe it, Matthew 6 tells us this, First uh, Thessalonians 5 tells us this, that we're to pray without ceasing. That's letting me know I'm always in a place of need. He's a high priest that hears and he cares. And anytime you go before the Lord, he's going to hear you. I read a story about, uh, actually it was a, it's a, he's died now, Professor Dwight Pentecost. He wrote this in a book years ago, 70s, I think. He talked about being at... Um, uh, I want to say the name of the place was um, 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 Immaculate. I don't think it was Immaculate Conception of Mary, but it might have been. But it's a large church in Mexico City. He said people were lined up. They only had one confessional booth that was open. People was lined up one by one going in, one by one going in. Noontime bells rang on the, on the church. He said when the noontime bells came, in spite of the lines that was there, he said the, the door opened where the, where the priest was inside the confessional booth. He says, this old man comes out with two canes and he's walking on his way out, not saying anything to the people. And a lady with some children comes to his feet and just begs him to pray for her, absolve her of her sin and just give her a word of comfort. He says he took one of the canes and just hit the lady and went on about his business. Because on earth, not, all, not everybody is merciful. Because on earth, not everybody's got compassion. Because on earth, not everybody's got time for you. Because on earth, not everybody's feeling what you're feeling. And now we got a lot of folks who love and heck from passion. You, you know all that, but, but listen, people are people. And sometimes people live their life according to the bells. Sometimes people live their life according to the schedule. Sometimes people live their life according to their agenda and what's before them. And, and listen, for many of us, you got to keep a schedule or you'll lose your mind. But at the same time, here's the real issue. Thank God we don't have to count on us. 
to get what we need because we can always go before the throne of grace. And the high priest, he ain't got no cane. He ain't coming out of there weak. He ain't looking down on you like you're somebody left. The high priest always lets us know, I love you. I feel you. I get you. I understand you. Come on into the throne room. Draw near to me and let the almighty God do you some good. Can you say amen? Now, here, here's, here's the issue. This access... This access is only for those who trust in him. It's only for those who trust in him. Listen to this, Hebrews 10, 19 and 22. Therefore, I want you to get this, brothers and sisters. How do we become brothers and sisters in the body of Christ? Mary mentioned on the video. How do we become brothers and sisters? Can I just, give you, can I just tell you something? Whenever people say, We all have the same father and we're all brothers and sisters. Don't fool yourself. We all have the same God of creation, but not all of us is in the same family. We're not all in the same family. Now we got the same blood and believe me, there's only one race. All this stuff about races and there's different cultures, different, but we only got one race. We We all created by the same God. Everybody came from the line of Adam and Eve. But, but, but I'm here to tell you, there's a distinction between the family that lives here on earth or people born here on earth and the family of God. The family of God is when we say our father who art in heaven, not, not uh, oh holy rock that lives on the seashore created by the same God as us. Yeah, that rock was created by the same God, but that rock ain't got no blood. That, Jesus didn't die for that rock. Jesus died for you. That you may have the spirit of God and it's the spirit of God in us that baptizes us into the family of Christ. That's why we call one another brother and sister. There's only one way for that to, to take place. Listen, listen to this. I hope I didn't offend no, uh, nobody. I, I, you might got some good rocks in front of your house. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, listen to this. Through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'll just take a minute to illustrate what this means. He's still using that same language of the high priest. Remember the high priest would go in once a year go behind the curtain. Nobody even knew what was behind that curtain but the high priest. Nobody else on that property knew what was behind that curtain but the people who served as high priests. They couldn't go back there. They couldn't see it. They were the only ones that can go back there because they were considered the ones most holy going to meet with the most holy. But something phenomenal happened when Jesus died on the cross. Something amazing happened at the time of the resurrection of the Lord. When, when Jesus died on that cross, the scripture says that the veil of the curtain in the temple split wide open. It split wide open. And then Jesus, the scripture says, was in the ground three days and three nights, resurrected out of the ground. And now he's making a statement. Come on, y'all. The curtain is wide open. It's open to the public. Anybody that wants to come in here, come on in. My blood has washed you. My blood has cleansed you. You don't need a, that priest to come in before you. You don't need the pastor. You don't need the elders. You can come right on into the throne room right before the almighty God. Right there in the place where God has washed us and cleansed us. And the scripture says he'll give us help 
He'll give us help. Y'all got to sit down. I'm not done. He'll give us help. Almost done, but not quite. Because I want you to get this. He says he gives us mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Man, that covers it. You, you, you might think sometimes that they mean the same, but there's a distinction. And sometimes, unfortunately, they're used interchangeably. But he says, whenever we go in that throne room, he gives us mercy and grace to help. Why mercy? Mercy because I need it. Mercy because I'm a sinner. Mercy because we failed. Mercy because we have went against the will of God and we deserve a judgment. But mercy says, no, no judgment. But grace comes to give us what we don't deserve. See, mercy comes and says, oh no, I'm not going to judge Tyrone for his sin because I've already died for him. And I'm going to give him grace. I'm going to give him goodness he don't deserve. I'm going to give him love beyond what he understands. I'm going to give him peace beyond all understanding. I'm going to give him joy unspeakable. Listen to what Jesus says. You come before the throne room, you'll always get mercy and you'll always get grace in the time of need. It's without fail. That's how he reconciles us unto him. And now I'm going to close out with this because all of that to say, all of that to say, then hold on to what you believe. Does that mean that things won't get tough sometime? Sure it will. But hold on to what you believe. Does that mean that their times won't get challenging? Oh, sure they will. But hold on to what you believe. Because I'm here to tell you, if you hold on to the promises and the hope and the provision of the almighty God, you'll endure You'll endure. You'll persevere. If somewhere down the line you give up your confession, somewhere down the line where you say you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life, but because things don't go the way you want or life turns things upside down or, or, or the ship of life is spinning around and you think, well, I don't believe what I, what I thought I believed and I'm going to try to make it on my own, you're without help. Now, I got to tell you just one more quick thing. This word help here. It's used two times in the New Testament. And one is in Acts chapter 27. And and some of you might recall, that's when Paul was on his way to Rome. And there was a storm. I think the scripture says that the storm went on for 14 days, I think it was. They lost water. I mean, sorry, didn't have food, didn't have provisions. They were twisting and turning. The ship was getting ready to, was was, uh, busting up. And And Paul heard a vision from the Lord and and he said to him that you're going to get through this and all the men will be saved and what they did was they tied some things around to hold the the ship together there the word that they used to to bind that ship together is the same word we use for help let me tell you what it means when it seems like your life is falling apart the promise of God is I'm going to bind you together. I'm going to put that ropes around you. I'm going to tie you up together. Oh, listen, you got to, may have to go over some rough waves and you might have to go through some tsunami-like stuff, but I'm here to help you. I'm here to tie you up. I'm here to bind you together. This is the God that we serve. Listen, don't leave here today without holding on that confession that you got. He's a God that keeps his promises. He keeps his word. I'm telling you, you'll make it through the day. 
and you'll wake up tomorrow and you'll thank God for another day. And you'll wake up the next day and you'll thank God for another day. And then you get two and three weeks down the road, the thing that you thought was going to blow you out the water, you passed it. You know why? Because you held on to your confession. You held on to your hope. You persevered. You prayed. You sought him. And he promises that he's going to help us time and time again. Everybody stand if you would. It's the throne of grace. It's the throne of grace. We're so grateful for the Lord. Prayer teams, if you'll come. I want to just, I want to just share something real quick and, and I'm just going to ask you. Uh, I'm going to ask you now to go ahead and bow your heads. Let me just get to this. You've heard this. You might have heard it before or heard something like it. But I, I, I want to ask you if you're here and, and, and you haven't, you haven't made that commitment that you're going to trust the Lord for your life.